the Gospel of Luke. What makes a great story is often a great reversal. And Hollywood, Disney has made millions off of it. Um, Cinderella is a reversal story. The, the girl who is poor and mistreated at home and is a nobody ends up getting the prince, right? And you have the same thing, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. There's really two reversals in that one. Um, you know, the scar who's bad and low becomes high and then goes the other way. And then, and then the other lion, you know, all that kind of stuff. All the reversals there and all those different Disney movies as well. Um, and you can see it throughout numerous books, classics, literature as well. What do you think about or what do you think when you think of reversals in the Bible? Let me, what would you think? What's the first reversal story that comes to the Bible to your in your mind, what Paul? What what about Paul's reversal story? Yeah, complete turnaround. Paul's life, Damascus Road. He was stopped in his tracks, literally, and completely changed. Reversal. Yep, James. Yeah, classic story. Haman's on top, making it rough for everybody, and he hangs on his own gallows. That's about as ironic as it gets, isn't it? That's great. Poetic justice, right? Linda. Moses, what was the reversal story you're thinking of? Yep, he's a little baby, and he should be taken and, and slaughtered, but he's not. Instead, he becomes a prince in Egypt, and then it reverses back, doesn't it? Yeah, in the end. So a double reverse story there. Bev? I think about Jesus and the reversal from the lost and the Savior. Oh, yeah. Yes, Jesus, his death, and then the reversal of his resurrection. I mean, he did that for our salvation. I mean, our whole salvation is based on a reversal story. What else comes to mind? Go back to the Old Testament. What about how... The patriarch's sons worked out. How did that all work out? Yes. Oh, Joseph. What about Joseph? Yeah, he was put really low and then brought super high. What about Abraham, his son? Was it Jacob or Esau that was made the heir and the blessed one? Yeah, it wasn't who you thought. The, the one who was firstborn didn't get, and that's the pattern, isn't it? It's the, it's the firstborn, it's not who you think it is. What about David and his brothers? I mean, they all line up and Sam, God says, no Samuel, no Samuel, no Samuel. And then what is he? Yeah, it's David, the very last one, the runt of the litter, as it were. And uh, he's the one that's chosen by God. Talk to me about some reversal of fortune language in the Bible. What are some phrases that talk to you immediately, thank you about a reversal story? Yes. Death to life. Death to life. What else? Ready? The last shall be first and the first shall be last, right? What else? What other language in the Bible is this language of reversal stories? What other? Yeah, but God. That's a complete opposite, right? Yep. A lot of places for that one. What else? 
Yes, what you meant for evil, God, that's a reversal completely from, from, from evil to good. Someone else had one. Yes. Say it again. Yes, darkness to light, reversal phrases. Other ones. How about rich to poor, high to low, proud to humble, right? The Bible's full of these stories. It's full of this language. And if you're there, so is the Gospel of Luke. I, I want you to write down when you have time next. Maybe over the holidays you're going to be on break and you're wondering, what am I going to read this year? Read the Gospel of Luke and read through and see how many reversal stories are in the Gospel of Luke. I would tell you that you could build an argument that the framework of the Gospel of Luke is about reversal stories because they happen all the way through. Now, you may not think, is this in Luke? Is what you're thinking. Is this story? But how many, tell me a reversal story that you know is in the Gospel of Luke. I'll give you an example. First of all, I'll take the one that everyone knows, which probably one you were thinking of. How about the rich man and Lazarus in the parable? It's a reversal story. He had good in his life, and then he has bad. He goes to hell, and the opposite for Lazarus, right? That's a reversal story. What other ones do you find in the Gospel of Luke that come to your mind? The prodigal son, yes, and his older brother, right? He was bad, and then he comes back, and he's elevated to the, you know, right, to the, the right hand of the father again. Excellent. What else? What else is in Luke? Yeah, you can't. That's the one I'm using tonight, so don't say that one, okay? Uh, can we reverse the tape on that? Okay, well, yes, go ahead. Someone else? John? Zacchaeus, complete reversal story. He's a tax collector, he meets Jesus, and everything in his life changed, particularly how he treats others, right? What else? Mary. Mary. Come on, I'm doing that one tonight. You guys are good stuff, but keep it down, all right? Someone else, Luke, Luke's story. You got any other ones going on? How about the Pharisee and the tax collector? Remember that one? What happens? The Pharisee is close to God at the altar, saying all these flowery things about how great he is. The guy, other guy's beating his chest in the back. And what does the parable end up? Who went down justified to his house? Oh, yeah, the tax collector. It's a shocker. It's a reversal story, right? What else? Yes. I'm sorry. Judas, yes, he's a disciple, and he ends up being the biggest denier and rejecter, right? Completely reversal. Well, you know, you get the idea. And we, admit, we said a bunch of them, and that wasn't even all of them. So you read the Gospel of Luke when you get a chance. Read it that way, and you'll find that it's a very powerful motif in Luke's writing of that. One of the greatest ones that we mentioned here, and we shouldn't have, but we did, um, is barrenness. If you're taking notes tonight, this is one of those sermons my wife says, you better get writing now because there's a lot of notes tonight if you want to take them. The barrenness to blessedness. There are five women, very specifically in the Old Testament, that were specifically noted that they were barren. Okay, There might have been others, and I'm sure there were many others, but five in redemptive history that were mentioned. Can you tell me who they were? First one is... Yes, but not the first, but you are exactly right. Sarah, and then, not in order though. Sarah then, nope. Rebecca, Rachel, no, that's last. Samson's mom, then Hannah. There are five of them in the Bible. Now, 
in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to listen to this. Three of them, listen, are in Genesis. One is in Judges, and one is in 1 Samuel. Write it down. There is a barren woman at every key segment transition of the redemptive story. When we get into the patriarchs, there are three. When we get into the judges, there is one. And then when we get into the prophets, there is another one. Therefore, if you read the story well, you would be thinking that the next one should happen when we get to the next segment. And that is when we get to the final king. So we have patriarchs, we have judges, we have the prophets. We just need one for the king to finish it off because it's going somewhere. The story of barren women who cannot have children, it's going somewhere. And it will be the story of the greatest reversal of all because it's a trajectory of climax. And we're going to climax at the end of these stories. Now, in the Old Testament, um, each one of these women brought deliverers. All right? They were God's next step in his redemptive program. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. If you look at the Bible carefully, you'll find that God controlled both the fertility of the land and of the womb. Um, So if you obeyed God's covenant and you trusted his promises and obeyed his word, he would bless the land. He would make the land fruitful. And so if you didn't, what would happen? He would stop making it rain and you wouldn't have to be cult, you wouldn't be able to cult, and then famine would come, and you wouldn't be able to have all the things that you need, and you would starvation, and you would be brought in the enemies, and they would take your food. Like Gideon had to be doing the wine press and all, and all that stuff to keep the little bit of food that he could get. Why? Because they were living in disobedience. So, what we're going to find out, and I want you to make this that here's what's true God's power is always connected to God's promise. He does irreversible, impossible things when people are following his covenant and promise. He keeps his word. That's why he brings reversals. That's why they're not just stories to tell generically about, oh, God can do anything. He can. But he's doing it structured to a framework of promises and covenants that he is working into So when you get to Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, she's the only woman in the New Testament that's said to be barren. Not because she is the only one, but because we want to see this, that her story looks backward. So when we read finally after, listen to this, 400 years of God not doing anything about the promise. The intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years. People are still waiting Anna and Simeon were waiting for the kingdom. And people are beginning to wonder of whether God keeps his promises. There's a Jewish lady that's been coming to our church. And she's investigating because she grew up Orthodox. And she's not, she, her people have, she told me, have basically given up on the Messiah coming. And it brings an emptiness. And so she wanted to come to our church. And she told me she wanted to come because she's wanting to find out if Jesus really is the Messiah or not. And people were wondering the same thing in the first century. Is God going to keep his word? And when you hear in Luke's gospel that there is now another woman who is barren, 
you begin to evoke the story that's been waiting to be told for 400 years. Is God now going to show his power and keep his promise? And so in all six cases, all six of them, the very same language is used. And it repeats phrases like this. No children. She was barren. God closed her womb. God restrained her from having children. God opened her womb. And every single time, one or more of those phrases is used in all six of these women in their cases. Sarah is Genesis, if you're taking notes, Genesis 11 and verse 30, and chapter 16 and verse 1 and 2. The Bible says God restrained her. It was not that she just had biological problems. It was purposeful for God's program. Genesis 25, 21 is the story of Rebekah. And finally, when she has a baby, it was because Jacob prayed and the Lord granted it. In other words, he had restrained her and God answered through prayer. It was God who did it for her. Rachel, Genesis 29 and verse 31 and Genesis 30 verses 1 and 2. She cries out and she says, I want to have a child or I'm going to die. And here's what her husband says. He goes, am I in the place of God? Where else have you heard that phrase? There's only two places and they're both in Genesis. One here, right? Jacob and Ra- talks to Rachel. What's the other one? Joseph says it. Now, it, now here's a, is this coincidental? She says, I want to have a child. And Jacob says, am I in the place of God? And who is the boy that Rachel has? Joseph. And who is the one who says it the second and only other time? Joseph, do you think he learned it at home? Do you think when he grew up, his dad told me, you know what, son? You were a lot of trouble. <laughs> to get you in this world, it wasn't easy. And your mom was all over my case. We couldn't have a child. And she wanted me to, listen to this, she wanted me to be like God. And that's what I said. And he grows up and says to his brothers, listen, am I in the place of God who can do anything? No, I don't do that. See the lesson he learned? Let me tell you this. So God is in control. God is in control of all of them. God's power is in all of them. And it's connected to his promises. Let me show you. And this is a lot. This is a study in of its own. But I'm going to go right through it so fast that you're going to be upset probably. Okay. The Bible, the, at the end of Rachel's little section in Genesis 30, verses 22 and 23, here's what it says about her. When God finally opens her womb, it says this, Then God remembered Rachel. Now, if you read that, and you only read that verse, you're going to think, remembered. Oh, that's why she had had a child-in-law, because God forgot about her. No, number one, you know that. God doesn't forget. So forget and remember don't always remain, you know, they're not always defined the same way we do forget and remember, especially when it comes to divine forgetting and divine remembering. You know that's true. So what does it mean when God remembered Listen to these verses, Genesis 8.1. But God remembered Noah. Did he forget about him for a while? No. It's a covenant phrase. In other words, he remembers that he made a promise to them. See, Rachel is remembered by God. You know why? Because God had made a promise to the first patriarch, Abraham, that someone from his line would always be the seed of the woman, would always be in the line. There would always be someone he preserved, and she's in that line. God remembered Rachel because of Abraham, because of the promise. God remembered Noah because of the promise. 
Genesis 19.29, And God remembered Abraham and preserved him instead of having it be destroyed with Sodom and Gomorrah like everybody else. And God remembered his covenant, Exodus 2.24, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when it was time to have the Exodus and to bring his people out of Israel, he, why did he do that? Because he promised to. He promised to bring them to the land flowing with milk and honey. He did not forget. He remembered them. And the Lord remembered Hannah, 1 Samuel 1.19. Nehemiah says, at a different juncture in the redemptive history, when he's rebuilding Israel, like God promised he would, remember me, Lord. Remember me for good. Now listen to this one. You know this one better than any other ones. Jesus is on the cross, and the guy next to him says what? Lord? Did he say, hey, Lord, when I die, just don't forget me? No, what is he saying? He's Jewish. Lord, remember me. I want to be... I want you to be my king. I want to be in covenant with you. I want to be part of what you promised in your kingdom. Lord, remember me. Oh, see, that's how it is. Even Malachi says, and God has a book of remembrance. Why? Because when you get to heaven someday, I think God's going to open it up, and he's going to say, hey, John Butler, I remember you. Not because of, hey, I remember you. I saw you at church a couple times. No, I remember you. I remember what you did and how your life was and how you changed and what God did for you. I remember you're mine. He remembers those things. Manoah's wife, Judges 13, 2 and 3. And a lot of these have Christophanies or angelic visits, however you want to look at them. No children. She's barren. God delivers her. Hannah 1 Samuel 1, 2, 5, and 6. Year after year, she goes up to worship, and Peninnah makes fun of her. And for years, she puts up with this. It's a reproach. And Eli finally thinks she's drunk when she's praying. You know the story. And God gives her Samuel, which means asked of God. But here's what God has. He has the ability to, listen, he has the ability to open wombs and close wombs. In any time in the Bible, a The Bible says that a woman is barren. She won't be barren for long because God reverses it. And when he does, he memorializes it. If you compare the two, and it's a great study again on its own, compare Hannah and Mary because after they're both miraculously impregnated, they both write reversal story songs. Read the Magnificent from Mary in Luke 1, 46 and following, and then read Hannah, her song. Listen to this. Here's what she says, 2, 5. And the barren has born seven. And then she says this, and God, blessed be his name, he brings down and he raises up. He makes the poor and he makes the rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up from the dust and lifts up from the ash heap. Go read Mary. She says the same things. Because you know what she sees in herself? They saw barrenness as an opportunity to show the reversal power of God, that he can do anything. And they took their little micro story of what God could do with them. And you know what he did? They went like this, and they fashioned it out to the macro story of Israel and say, you know what? If God can reverse my little situation, he can reverse the situation of our entire nation. I believe that. Do you? I believe that. I believe God can change lives and change churches and he can change families. He can do anything. Why? Because our God is the God who has reversal power. And so if you're in Luke chapter 1, verse 7, Elizabeth, the Bible says, 
They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years, meaning her and Zacharias. The Bible has, between the first and the last set of barren stories, bookend stories, because they're like deja vu. You've heard it before, because Sarah and Abraham are old, really old. And you get the same little phraseology in this one at the other end of the spectrum. They are well advanced in years. They're very old. But can I tell you, what have we learned? God can open the womb of old women who are barren, and he can do it in young women who are barren. You know why? Because there's nothing too hard for God. Nothing too hard for God. God can do the same thing for Sarah and Abraham. Listen, and thousands of years later, he's the same. So you know what? Between us and Elizabeth is about two millennia. Can I tell you this? He did it for them. He can do it for you. Because like their day, he is immutable. Our God has not changed. He still has the same power to reverse life situations and stories. Let me tell you this. He can overcome what nobody else can overcome. He can change completely what no one else, what seems to be permanent, is temporary when God gets a hold of it. Because you know what he does? He reverses barrenness to show that he always, hear me, always keeps his promises. Add on this, no matter how long it might be and no matter how it looks. God's power changes Mary. If you look at Mary's story, and that's where we're going to end tonight, there is a contrast. How do you respond? You say, Pastor Walker, I have a Christmas impossible situation. I have things going on, people that I witness to. Maybe yours is a political, you think, oh, our country, political (laughs) impossibilities. Maybe yours is financial. Maybe yours is emotional. Maybe yours is legal. Maybe yours is relational. I don't know what your impossible Christmas story is. I know Mary's. Yours may seem impossible, hear me, but hers was impossible physiologically, God was asking her to believe something that wasn't possible. To have a child. See, when you go from Elizabeth and all the other ones in a row, six of them, again, seven, number of completion in the Bible, you come to Mary. See, all the other women that were barren, they had a husband but no children. She has neither. She has no children, but she's going to have one, but she has no husband. You see the difference in the hardship? Now, God doesn't have, and you know this, God doesn't have categories of, well, hard, no, that's easy. Oh, God, oh, no, that's a harder one. God doesn't have those categories. We do. He doesn't. But he wants to say this, I can turn anything around. I can do anything. See, I wrote down this, this quote, God can do anything in you or for you, that he asks of you. Let me say it again. God can do anything in you, or for you, that he asks of you. If God asks you, like he did Mary, to have a child when you have no husband, can I tell you this? He will do it. He will do it in you. He will do it for you when you can't. Because that's the power that he has. How do you respond to that? Now, you say, I have a possible situation, and you're in mind thinking of it right now. What is it? How will you respond when God tells you that I can take your story and flip it? 
I can turn it upside down. I can reverse it. How do you respond? Now, the Bible wants us to answer that because you may theoretically be sitting in your seat and you say, yeah, yeah, I know. I've read the Bible. I know what God can do. And you think about it and you assent to it and you go, yeah, I know, but you're not really living it. You don't really believe it when it comes to actually being an experience of yours. You don't. You know what the Bible does? Zacharias is contrasted with Mary because they're both in impossible situations. Both of them have angelic visits and the angel comes to Zacharias and says, hey, I know you're really, really old and you've never had children before, but now that it's too late, you're going to have one. Now he's in the temple serving God. Does he know that God can do anything? Yeah, you think the guy who's a priest knows the stories of the five women I think he does. Does he believe it when the angel says? No. He's mute because of it. The angel says, did I not come from the presence of God? Meaning, hey, did you forget? I came from God who has all the power. And God told me to say these words to you. Because here's the question. Listen to this. 118, Luke 118. How shall I know this? Write down this next to it. Doubt, and in parentheses, He's looking for confirmation. It wasn't enough that God said it. He wanted to see, how shall it be? Are you going to show me something? Because you know my wife and I are old. You better show me more than just say it to me. And God says, let me show you. I'll give you a sign. You're going to zip it for a a number of months. Now here's a guy, watch. Older man, priest, way more mature, quote unquote, in God. And he doesn't do it right because he doesn't have the faith. Now you got, watch, compare, contrast, little girl, 13 or 14, Jewish woman, never been trained in the Bible, taught, have all the experience, maturity he has. She is told a harder thing that's never been done. There have been women who are barren and had children. There are precedents for that. There is no precedent for the virgin birth. None. Zero. She'll be the first and only one ever in history, and she knows it. Hers is completely different. Next to her, chapter 1, verse 34, put this, not doubt, but faith, not confirmation, but explanation. You know what she's looking for? You see, the difference between her and Zacharias were, he wanted confirmation, and then he would get explanation. She reverses it. She says, hey, I don't need confirmation now. Give me an explanation And if you want, give me the confirmation later. But all I want to know is how you're going to do it. Not because I don't believe you can, but I just want to know what you're doing. There's a huge difference between those two. And see, as you face your Christmas impossible situation, you're going to have to decide who you're going to be more like. Whether it's Zacharias, who says, I know what you say, but show me more. And i got to have it before I believe that you're going to do it. Mary wasn't like that. Not at all. What you do when you read Mary in the Gospels is that when she's told things by the angel or asked things by God, she never turns her mind off. In Luke 1.29, it says she was troubled and she considered what kind of greeting this was, which is not a good translation. It's not what kind of greeting it was. Oh, Mary, hi, how you doing? It's not a greeting. It's what kind of words and message was being sent by God. What was he trying to do? And the word in the Greek is logizomai, which we get the word logic from. And you know what she's sitting there? You know what faith does? It doesn't just say, oh, I feel like you might be. No, she's thinking it through. She's thinking it through. 
Because faith does that. It doesn't turn off your mind. It turns on your mind. She's saying, God is saying this. It's absolutely physiologically impossible. I'll be the only one. And you know what she's thinking? And you know, I'm only 13 or 14, but I have dreams. I'm supposed to marry Joseph. We're going to live happily ever after. We have families. We have reputations. He is a guy, Hebrew. He is Sadiq. He is righteous. If I say yes to this and believe it, it could ruin everything I've hoped to have. It could ruin my marriage. It could ruin my reputation for my whole life. They could possibly, according to Levitical law and the Torah, they could stone her. It could kill her. She's thinking about it. Faith doesn't just blindly say, oh God, okay. No, you're thinking about it. You're working through it in your mind. She's considering, oh, you know, the barren woman? That's great. In fact, here's what God, after God gives her the explanation, he does give her the confirmation. Next paragraph, read after her story. She gets to go to Elizabeth. Now, you know, Elizabeth has been sequestered the whole time, and her, Mary doesn't even know she's pregnant. And when she gets there, she says, oh, my word, you're way older than me. You've never had a baby, and God has been pregnant. See, you're pregnant for the first time? Oh, I believe it for sure. Now, she did before in seed form, but can I tell you this? God brought friends. God brought friends into her life. Do you think that you can detach God's power from his care and compassion of you? Remember the disciples when God, through Jesus, demonstrated his power when they were on the water and the winds and the waves were going? Remember all that? And they said, oh, Lord, get up and do something because don't you care? We're perishing. Oh, never do this. Never separate God's power from his compassion. I've talked to people, my best friend in college, who got me to go to the school I went to, and who is one of, still to this day, most influential people in my life. The first five years of his marriage, he could not have children. He could have none. And their response to it was one of complete trust and faith. On the sixth year of their marriage, when they had virtually given up on having children, they ended up having five but you know what? God did a reversal in their life. I've seen what this is real like in real life. You know what? Because they were people who trusted God's promises and acted on them. What does it look like? 137 reads this, famous words. For nothing, the angel says, will be impossible with God. And look at the verse before, verse 3. With her who was called past tense. See, she saw her friend Elizabeth have a baby. He's going to have a baby. And she would be not barren anymore. She says, I believe it. I knew it. God has the power. And he's just showing me. He's confirming after she believed and acted on what she knew. Afterwards. And then the angel says, For nothing will be impossible with God. In the original language, let me read it for you. It says this. Because not impossible with God every word. That's how it really reads. Not impossible with God, very specifically, every word. Not the generic word for word. The very specific word, ruah, which means a very word, a special word for a special situation. He says, God, down to the very details of my life, he will perform every single syllable 
of what he has said to me, and I believe it. How do you know, Pastor Walker, when that is really where you are in your response to God? The very next verse says this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the literally slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And draw a line in your Bible from 37 to 38, word to word. See, I believe you can do every word, and therefore I will obey every word. And what's the mentality? A slave. God, here's what I know. I'm going to believe you, and I'm going to act on everything you do, knowing all it could cost me, but I'm going into it saying, I don't have my rights. You, I, it's all about your rights, your story, your glory, your name. I am nothing more than your servant or your slave. That's how I, you know what? It takes surrender. It takes submission. It takes humility to say, God, I know that you can. I don't know that you will, but I know that you can. That's what reversal stories are all about. They're all about not just giving you a better life so that you can enjoy things as great as that is. God wants you to know, hey, you're in my story. And I'm writing it with your life. And I bring barrenness, and I bring cancer, and I bring financial problems, and I bring all of these various things in your life. You know why? Because I want to showcase and demonstrate that I can do anything. Will you let me do anything in your life? Will you? So that I can prove how powerful and great I am and how I will keep every word I've ever said to you and you can bank on it. See, this Christmas... And your Christmas impossibility can be turned into a possibility when we have the faith to believe God and say, God, I trust you. Even though I can't explain it all, I don't understand it all, but I will trust you in it all. That whatever you do will be for your glory. Let's pray. Ah, Father, help us. Help us to have a faith like Mary. A faith that says, God, let it be to me according to your word. She didn't get all the details up front. She just knew that the powerful, most high God was going to do something with her and in her that would make her blessed, she says in the mag. I will be blessed from every generation. She went from barrenness to blessedness, and so can we. We can know what true happiness is, the blessed life. If, like Mary, we will believe in the God of reversals that can change any... Oh, Lord, we don't know if you will, but we know that we, you can. Help us to believe that and act on it so that you can display your greatness in us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.